If you'd like to support the show, don't forget to rate us five stars, shop at our merch store, and subscribe to us on YouTube. Special thanks to our patrons, M. Trichkovsky and Tony Irons. To become a patron, go to patreon.com slash what's my thesis. Your family and how your family history and the mental, cognitive sort of way of thinking affects who you are as a person and how that stems back not from like you to your mother, but also your mother to your grandmother. So it's kind of like this reverse domino effect of mm. looking back into the past and thinking about who you are based off of all these previous lives that have been lived. Welcome to What's My Thesis. I'm your host, Javier Proenza. Every week, my guests and I share the answers we found to the questions we have. Join us as we explore and expand our worldview and ask What's My Thesis. And today, my guest is Mae Rodded. Yes. Oh, nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> we are back at the Artist Co-op. We just saw uh, Juan, Gonzalo, uh, Juan Gomez. Sorry. <laughs> we just saw Juan Gomez, and he fucked up my last name. Too. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, it. last names are hard. If we're all just on the same page about it, I think it's fine. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, we're here at the Artist Co-op with you in your studio. Um, your main practice seems to be mostly printmaking and you work as a printer, you mentioned, yes. in, in Santa Monica area. Yes. Um, so I am a printmaker. I have some photo background and I do a lot of drawing. Drawing incorporates itself into printmaking in many ways. Mm -hmm. um, and I am a shop manager at Josephine Press in Santa Monica. So it's a full service printmaking facility. Um, we're the most community-based printmaking studio out in that area. So um, a lot of artists, when you say like, oh, I want to have an addition made or like I want to learn how to do some printmaking that's outside of the university system, you have to be invited typically to a big printing press like Gemini GEL or... Is, is that... Uh... I know Cirrus used to be called Gemini. Is that is that what they go by? Cirrus. Cirrus. That's another. Okay. So that's another independent press. Um, they're not considered a big one. They're considered. They are. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're another they, big one. Yeah. They, yeah. they work with like huge people. Yes. Yeah. Um, There's also shout out to Aliso Editions, which is a new one mm. that came out of uh, the Cirrus. Oh, I'm not familiar. with that. Although I don't know how they feel about each other. Oh, I mean, I, I they're probably fine. It's um, a very diplomatic world. Yes. Um, there's also Hamilton Press, who. Um, my friend Tyler, who also teaches at Loyola Marymount University, um, is the master printer there. And anyways, there's all these other big presses that you have to be invited to to have an edition made. But at Josephine Press, John Greco, he's the owner and he op opened the shop about almost 40 years ago. And he wanted it to- four or 40? 40, 40 or okay. zero. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be clear because no. there's a distinction there. Yes, yes. <laughs> Many years ago, 40 years ago. Um, and I he, was uh, maybe two years old when he put that up. Oh, wow. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, he moved out here. You weren't uh, even alive. I wasn't even alive. Wow. I was a thought in the ether somewhere. <laughs> um, but anyways, he wanted a shop for anyone to come in and make a print. He wanted them to have access to that. So he opened Josephine Press and um, it's very community based. It's very like open to workshops. So anyone can come in, whether you have experience or not. And you can take a workshop like etching, monoprint, um, relief, all these different practices. Do or you guys do lithographs and whatnot? We lithographs are the most difficult to operate a space for. 
Um, so we don't, we do like pronto plate lithography, which is kind of tricky and also really basic. Like you can draw on a sensitive sheet of, it's basically like a polyester film that is sensitive to grease and you can draw on it. And then whatever your images is going to be the positive that will be printed. Mm -hmm. You could do photographic imagery that way by running the sheet of, it's like a pronto plate is what it's called. You run it through a laser printer. And so the toner then fuses to the paper and then you ink it up and print it the way you would a lithograph. But they're very finicky. Like a lot of printmakers that I talk to either say, they say they either work or they don't work. So. Uh, the This version of the yeah. lithograph. Okay. Um, the what, other... what makes the lithograph, now I'm fascinated. What makes the lithograph so, so difficult? Well, okay. So lithography is, it's a planographic process. So you're not, you're not like carving anything. You're not scratching anything. You're just drawing on a flat surface, which is a sheet of limestone or like a really thick uh, stone. Mm -hmm. um, and you have to polish the surface. So you grind it down. So it's free of any grease. It's nice and smooth. And then you draw on it with greasy material. So there's what's called lithocrans. And those are you know, a specific grease level, there's one through five. One is going to be the most greasy, so it'll give you the darkest values. And there's five, which is the least greasy and will be the um, the lightest values. And then there's all these other things in between. And basically... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, um, you draw your image and then you etch it onto the stone. So you use nitric acid and you're basically telling the stone oh, okay. what's going to be what. And then the areas that you leave alone those won't print. So once you've etched it, you then um, wet the surface of the stone. So it's kind of like the idea of oil versus water. So wherever mm -hmm. you had your grease material, when you roll ink onto the stone, the ink sticks to those areas versus where the stone is wet, because the, the ink is oil-based, it will repel because water repels oil, right? So mm -hmm. when you roll the ink on, it sticks into the areas where you have your drawing, gets repelled and then you do this process of sponging and inking the plate repetitively and then you put your paper on it and then you run it through the press so you need like a really good facility just for that process yeah yeah no it sounds pretty intense but it also sounds like what you're saying is that it's not it's not too different from just uh when you're using the same similar like uh, resin on something so that it, it, it the acid burns it like the metal I'm so dumb it's <laughs> okay I am here to talk about every print process it's like my passion no, so, uh, so etching just regular etching but without like scraping etching with like acids it sounds it's a similar process or is it not it's because it's mm -hmm. the it sounds like maybe in this case you're not deteriorate like so etching is um, usually on a sheet of metal like uh -huh. zinc or copper and with zinc, you do use nitric acid, which is the same acid you would use to etch a stone. But with the stone, you're just kind of doing chemical reactions with-, oh, um, with You're the, not melting away stone. Right, okay. so- That's the that yeah. answered question. Exactly, yeah. With <laughs> Asked etching, answered. The, the zinc literally eats into the plate where you have it exposed, where the acid is. So then it creates a line where ink can be pushed into and wiped the surface clean and then run through the press. That's a really dumbed down version of it. Okay. But yeah. It's... But I'm getting a real strong sense that to you, there's maybe nothing more satisfying than pulling something out of the press. Oh yeah. Okay. It's, yeah, every, <laughs> it's funny, I work with an artist and she says, every time we pull a print, it's like Christmas. I know. <laughs> it is, it's like, that's what keeps a lot of printmakers going, I think, is like that moment where all that hard work that you put into your plate, all the ink that you thought of, like the color and the transparency and, like having to go through the whole process of inking it up and then running it through the press. And then that last moment is pulling it off and just being like, 
there it is. Yeah, yeah. You know? But we also forget that it's like the it's the way that a lot of stuff used to be printed and it has like a really like rich advertising, mm. like, you know, like as opposed to just like painting or anything like that. Mm. It has it has a finish to it that I like that 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 I think uh I'm excited. Now I'm like I've been painting mm -hmm. the my the drawings that I do and now I'm like maybe I want to fucking print them. Yeah. I think everyone <laughs> should uh do a little bit of printmaking. I might come out to your spot. Please and, do. And, and try to try to do that. So, yes. So that that's really fun. I mean, that seems like you have a pretty fulfilling life uh for someone of your generation where the whole world is falling apart and yet you get to have like I mean, I'm not, not that the world falling apart doesn't affect you, but I'm saying like, you're doing pretty good. It sounds like Yeah. you hear all about these millennials being lazy. It seems like you have an idyllic, like uh setup for yourself. I'm definitely really fortunate to be in the spot that I'm in. I'm not guilt tripping you. No, I'm saying, no. I'm giving you props. I appreciate <laughs> I'm it. I'm not saying privilege. I'm saying like, Hey, you, you, cause it's hard to know. Like, I mean, I, I'm just imagining based on the, your lack of crow's feet, how young you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I'll disclose I'll be 30 next year. Oh, okay. So, you actually seem a lot younger, but really? still a, no, nice. thir a good printmaking career at 30 is not bad. Yeah. Well, so the reason I say I'm really fortunate is because right out of my BFA program, I got a teaching assistantship at Loyola Marymount University. And then a year later, they started um, giving me my own classes mm. with just my BFA. So I don't even have my MFA. And then uh, a couple years after that, I was offered the position to um, be a shop manager at Josephine Press. And then with that, I've been instructing workshops there. And I'm a real go-getter. Like I was raised to really just like, if you want something, just go do it. And it's yeah, like, yeah, okay, yeah. great. So I've always like really uh, had that mindset. And um, and so you're, what you're saying of like my position of where I am in life and how I get to <laughs> do what I love is really something that I am really grateful for, yeah. um, that I've worked hard for. But uh, then the other side of it is like, where does this go now? And I mean, I feel good about my future, obviously, but at the same time, it is like the state of the world and the economic system and everything. It is kind of scary to think about, like, how do we take this art career that I'm in, really invested in, and turn it into something long-term that's like similar positions? So you're... Are you speaking more of the, because right now we're talking about two different things. You have mm -hmm. your, your practice, which is printmaking, and then you have your job. So mm -hmm. when you're saying what next, you're talking about the art career, or are you talking about what next professionally in terms of, because I mean, I'm sure you could just become a badass master printer. Yeah. I mean, that's the game plan. Okay. Um, I so would... that you're talking more in the art then. That's where it's a little bit more ambiguous for you. I think a little bit of both. Okay. All right. So, I'll let you speak. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it is, it is connected too. It's like a lot of folks that teach, you know, teach for their career, um, don't have time for their own work, which is something that I struggle with as well. Of course. Um, I think being young is like the benefit of having a little bit more energy at the end of the day after teaching two classes or, you know, teaching workshops over the weekend. And like, you have to just find the time. So you come in at night or you really take your weekend time that it should maybe be just like, go hang out at the park and read a book. Instead, you like get into the studio. And you're always working when you're an artist is what you're saying. Yes. Which, yes, I, yes. I can relate to that. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but I want to reassure you because you just saw a 40-year-old man break a sweat <laughs> setting all this shit up. So I don't think that that ambition is going to leave you. It's either in you or it's not. Yeah. Um, well, cool. I mean, that's really fascinating. We could definitely talk about printmaking a little bit more. I am uh, curious about topic, though. D sure. did, did you have a topic ready for today? Well, 
Okay, it's maybe a little bit like a wide range. That's perfectly fine. Okay, so... You don't need to start apologizing for your topic just yet. Okay, we'll, okay. Let's see it first. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, I don't know. It's like, so I really got into Russian Doll recently, which is a Netflix series. Okay. Um, and there's like a lot of themes in that show that I relate to in my own artwork. And um, I kind of am picking up on and trying to shift my work in a different direction that relate to the theme. So. I don't know if we want Russian doll to be. That's fine. The- <laughs> I mean, uh, like if we can do it without giving too many spoilers, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, because uh, I don't want to enrage. <laughs> yes. No, but now I'm actually kind of curious. OK, so what's the premise of the show? So basically there's two seasons. They're both a little one plays off of the other. So the first season is about this woman in her for her. Sorry, her 40s. Um, and she is like an OK person. You know, she's like someone that kind of isn't a great friend, but is there and just trying to live her life. And she has like a lot of um, childhood trauma from her family and her upbringing and all this and that. And on her like 42nd birthday or something like that, she dies. And then she wakes up again at her birthday party. And then um, she's like, okay, that's a bit odd. And so then she like continues to to, um, live her night and then again, she dies. And then like this repetition of her dying over and over again that same night during her birthday. Is it the one? Is it the woman from uh, uh, the uh, Orange is the New Black? Yes. OK, OK, OK. OK. Yes. Yeah. I remember when this came out. Yeah. This is like older, though, right? It's older, but the second, second season, season just came out, just came out. And so the second season. So without giving away many spoilers, the second season talks more about. OK, so the end of the first season talks about how to become a better person and to live your life mm. to what it should be, you know? That woman's in her 40s, that actress? No, no, just the character of okay, her. But, but how old, I mean, she's- Natasha, Nata- her, Natasha Leon. Um, she's playing old, usually actresses don't play up in age because yeah, it like ages point. them. Anyway, I'm sorry, now I'm getting into like patriarchy. No, no, it's all good. I think <laughs> she, she just seems really young for like to be playing a 40 year old, but I, maybe I'm just like- I don't know actually. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, I mean, she's been around. I've definitely seen her act for a long time. Yeah. So maybe she is closer to 40 than I recognize. I think she's older than 40, but I don't know. I'm okay. not sure. All right. She, anyway. Maybe she's around there. This is probably getting cut up. Sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> she's somewhere in there. Because I remember I've been watching some interviews of her recently when she was younger. And I was like, whoa, like she used to. I only knew about her when she started doing Orange is the New Black. And then when she, this series yeah. came out, I was like. This is crazy. So yeah, no, she's she's super charismatic. I think when when I saw her in that um, in that show, like in Origins of New Black, I recognize her. I still don't know what from, but I've seen her in something else. But anyway, sure. so back to Russian Doll. So um, okay, so then the first season ends, and this idea of like learning to become a better person, basically, and learning mm-hmm. how to live your life, and wanting to live your life. And the second season is more about how your family and how your family history and the mental cognitive sort of way of thinking affects who you are as a person and how that stems back not from like you to your mother but also your mother to her grandma or your grandmother so your mother to her mother and then her mother to her mother so it's kind of like this reverse domino effect of Mm. looking back into the past and thinking about who you are based off of all these previous lives that have been lived 
and how to then work into your present and your future and, you know, have to carry the trauma that you had and that your mother had in previous and previous and still live a life that feels like fulfilling enough, carrying all this trauma and learning how to live with all of it and recognizing that you aren't able to really change the past. You're only able to change yourself in the future and the present. Yeah. I mean, are we going to get into your trauma? (laughs) Not trauma, not trauma necessarily, but I love, I'm really into psychology and like cognitive thinking. And so what I really love about the show is like all these themes that hit on how it is that you look into your past and how your family relates so much into like, so my work when I was an undergrad was all about my parents are from Israel originally mm-hmm. and they moved out here in the nineties, American dream, got a house, raised a family of three kids and then housing, you know, housing, um, crash in 2008 and, um, kind of spiraled. And so my parents in the early or the mid 2010s, um, decided like, we're going to move back to Israel. We're kind of done here. And I was in my mid twenties at the time and I was in school at the time. And so it kind of affected me because it's like, you know, I grew up in this house and now the house is being disassembled and all the materials are being moved away. The furniture that I grew up with. Um, I thought you meant the house was literally being disassembled. Not the house itself. That's <laughs> no, 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 an interesting I got, visual. I, I, yeah. I got you. I got you. I was like, holy shit. Were they just moving the house to Israel? Yeah, the whole house Like my packet. imagination went a little crazy. Uh Okay. Uh, and uh, so one thing that we talked about before we started recording that I, uh, that I did mention that I wanted to talk about on the show. So you were saying, cause uh, y- y- grandfather moved the first time to Israel. He-, he was not Israel born. He was, he moved from Italy, you said. Yes. And I was like, Hmm, interesting. Cause it's, I would like guess the era, right? It's like the fifties where it was probably still not chill to be uh, a Jew in, right. in Italy, even right. though, you know, it was over and still probably like, eh, I could still see some resentment. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's just the, you know, having to carry. Um, and, and the Italians, they get a pass sometimes on their anti-Semitism because they didn't have concentration camps until the Germans put them in there. Mm-hmm. But they had ghettos. Yeah. I mean, I mean, just the whole my so the grandfather on my father's side, um, he's the one from Italy. But my grandfather on my mother's side was actually in a concentration camp. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this whole move that my parents had taken to move back to Israel made me think a lot about my family history. And so that's when I kind of delved into like, who were my grandparents and what did they live through? And and so it all kind of carries back into today of thinking like, I am the person that I am because of who my mother and father are and who their mother and father are. And and having to carry all of the history of being a Jewish American. And uh, my parents are immigrants, you know, or yeah. were. Um, and so I'm like the firstborn American. And so like having that privilege too, but then also having to carry all the history of being um, Jewish. And, and Well, and then also American-Israel relations towards the rest of the world are kind of awkward right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which don't we don't know. have to get into. I don't want to get you in trouble. But I'm saying like <laughs> it's not unweighted. You know, because it's like at the same, it's, 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 um, there's trauma, but then there's like a reaction to the trauma that you also have to kind of deal with, which I'm sure is not easy. Yeah. Yeah. My parents didn't raise me to be very religious. Like we only celebrated holidays and very rarely I would go to temple. I went to Hebrew school, um, but that was basically it for like two, three years. 
And so I know how to speak Hebrew fluently. I know most of the holidays, but that's about it. And so mm. when it comes to like the politics of it, I'm really a bit in the dark about all that. Yeah. Um, probably more so to my doing because I don't really get invested in that kind of stuff. So I guess for me, it's more about like my personal history to who my grandparents were. But of course, I, I know, you know, a fair amount about the history of everything and well we one of the things that i also we talked about off the air as i was like because we like i set up for 45 minutes so it's yes, not like we sit right. in silence <laughs> but um the idea of also the difference between israel in the 50s and israel now like mm -hmm. when when zion was becoming a reality it must have been really like it didn't have all the baggage yet Right. Well, I mean, it, we were pro. They were there was probably some baggage being acted out because obviously putting a, a a sort of European state in the middle of the Middle East is going to be a, an issue. But it's it, it it's a it it must have been like really like validating or vindicating or something, you know, like it, in terms. I mean, I can only imagine what it must be like to like be persecuted and then finally have a fucking home. Yeah. Well. So okay. So when Israel first became a state. Um, or even just like the, so basically when kibbutzim started to crop up in Israel and a kibbutz is basically a very small community that's run almost like communist style where you trade goods for services. There's mm -hmm. not really monetary value to many things, at least back in the day. Like for example, my dad didn't even know what money was until he moved to um And to the Europe. stereotypes that Jews face. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, we're talking about communities that don't even have cash. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, when they first got started and everything. And so my grandfather, my father and my dad's side moved from Italy to um, Israel, the very north. It's this kibbutz called Hagoshrim. Mm -hmm. And it means um, the bridges. Hageshel is the bridge in Hebrew. How's your Hebrew? Are you? It's pretty good. Okay, it sounds like it. <laughs> yeah. it I don't hear like a, an Americanized accent. Yeah, thank you. It's funny because when I talk to folks out here, they're like, oh, you speak it so fluently. And it, I mean, almost as though I like to say that my first language was Hebrew because my parents would talk to me in Hebrew. And then once I entered the school system, that's when I really learned how to speak English. Same thing with Spanish for me. Oh, cool. No. Yeah. And I love that. I, you know, like being bilingual is awesome. And it's. No. It just is um, a really nice thing, but yeah, I was Although just- Spanish is spoken a lot more internationally. <laughs> yeah, and out like, here. Yeah, Israel Israel is like uh, more like, or Hebrew is more like Italian, where it's like you only mm -hmm. speak it in like very select places. Definitely, yeah. yeah, yeah. Do you guys, does does is there like a really big industry for Hebrew translation of movies? Oh, that's or, an interesting question. Because like that, it's one of the biggest things in Italy is like a whole industry oh, yeah. of like celebrities that are voiceover artists and they voice the same actors or they, okay. they voice like, like it's one guy would do the voice of Stallone, Dustin Hoffman and someone else. I forget. Uh, I forget who. Uh, let's just say. Um, but anyway, <laughs> and they would do uh, they would put uh marathons and movies based on the guy so it would be oh, like a fun. dustin hoffman movie a stallone movie and then some other oh disparate gosh. actor <laughs> oh how funny wow That's so funny. i would imagine like with language being you know or but but i mean i i feel like a lot of people in israel speak english anyway though yeah, yeah. so you know how like out here in california when you take a second language it's usually spanish mm -hmm. or there's like french or italian or whatever um, in Israel, you take English and Arabic. So it's kind of like out there, most people speak English as well. Mm -hmm. At least they had to take a few years in school. 
Um, and I think English speakers are able to get around Israel pretty easy too. Like there's birthright, which is like the free trip to Israel. If you have any inkling of Jewishness in you, I'll take a free trip. Yeah. (laughs) It's awesome. I did it, um, when I got out of high school with some friends and it's like, they take you to all the tourist spots. They pay for everything, all the food, all the stay. You go to the Dead Sea, you ride a camel, everything. Um, you ride a camel. Yeah, it's part of it. <laughs> that's such a funny detail. <laughs> I mean, there are pictures, you know, that's what they use to advertise it is like all these kids on camels. That's hilarious. I don't know why that tickles me so much. That is such a great detail, though. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's amazing, but it's also like with the intention. Of, it, like, it is sort of like uh, a propagandistic trip as well, right? It is, <laughs> yes. So then they bring like... They don't IDF. take you to Palestine and go like, yo, check it out. No, no. But they bring like IDF soldiers on like halfway through the trip and they're like, oh, yeah. like And they, you know, IDF soldiers carry guns with them. And out here for us, that's something that's like someone with a gun. I mean, with today's politics, not even politics, just the life that we live today and guns and it's really bad but in israel we see people carrying guns around and it's just part of the security of the nation um but the whole kind of like subplot of the trip is to try to entice people to move to israel because look at all this amazing stuff that we have here and look you were just paid to stay out here for 10 days and ride a camel and you know (laughs) get in the ocean and it's just it really is a beautiful place and i think everyone should visit at at least once if they can well, I mean, it's a super important place. I think, like, in terms of places to visit, uh, it's definitely in my list of, like, no, I'm fucking curious. Yeah. I want to go to Istanbul. Like, I, mm-hmm. I love, I mean, just because of a place's politics doesn't mean that I'm, like, not interested in seeing it. Yeah. Especially because it's, like, it's it's got that Mediterranean vibe that I think is, like, it's like its own little Italy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just, I mean, like, landscape-wise, it sounds charming as fuck. Yeah. Tel Aviv. I can see why people fight over this shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, it's so... I I just got back from a two-week trip out there because my family lives there now. Yeah. Um, And I haven't been since pre-COVID started. Um, So it was really nice to, to kind of be there. It's like my second home, basically. Yeah, yeah. But like Tel Aviv is amazing. The water is so warm at the um, in the ocean, and um, the weather is hot during the summer. But you know, you indulge in iced coffees and the the water. And my parents living in the north, there's a lot of rivers that run through there. And um, yeah, anyways, it's and Jerusalem, of course, is like a a must. And, all that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I want to redirect you back to yes. the history of your grandfather because that's kind of where we we got distracted by yes. I think language. Yes. Yes. Um, so you were you were a native speaker of Hebrew. Yes. Because you're in the household. Your first word was what? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> you don't know? <laughs> I don't. Know. Mine was zapato. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> Mine was shoe. Oh, cute zapato. <laughs> oh, I love that. Man, I don't know. I should ask my parents what my first oh word my was. I don't even Text know. Text them right now. We'll wait. No, I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> They're probably up. <laughs> oh my gosh. What a great question. Yeah. I'm going to ask them. Because I'm guessing if your first language was uh, was Hebrew, it wasn't in English. Yeah. Well, if it was mom or dad, which I'm assuming, you know, I think probably those are the first words that your parents try to get you You weren't to say. into footwear as a baby? No, not as much. I was um, destined to love sneakers and not be able to, but I, although I'm not like a sneaker head. That's so funny. I like, oh, I love that. Yeah. Um, and I like to say it with a Z. <laughs> like, instead of just saying it like a regular Spanish person, I'm like Zapato. Because like to me, that's so great. What a great to, a word that starts with a Z to be your first word. Yeah, that is pretty like up there. It's like 
Zapato <laughs> yeah. was my first. That's a good one. Uh, anyway, so you so it was your first language, and yes. um, like, how were your? You lived in a house that got dismantled, but not physically, just right. the, the furniture. Yeah, so it got packed up, and then they moved to Israel, and they took my sister, who was only uh, twelve at the time. Two thousand ten. Um, two thousand. Around there, like is thirteen. Thirteen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, at the time I was getting my BFA at Cal State Long Beach and printmaking, and it really hit me because like I am a very family oriented person, um. And so I started thinking about like all of the furniture that I grew up with and like my surroundings and like this home that I grew up in, and now I don't really have somewhere to go back during the summer or like mm -hmm. just the idea of my parents, my family moving so far away and not being able to access them by like a quick drive up, you know, the freeway. Um, so that made me. And also it's not like the easiest, you know, place to travel to. Right. Yeah. Like the, the, although if you take, what was the airline that they mentioned in that movie in Rain Man? Uh, Dustin Hoffman wants to ride the safest airline and it's the Israeli one. El Al. El Al. Yeah. 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 Well, the, the Israeli they have airport, like crazy fucking security. Yeah. Well, they put like an, um, not an IDF soldier, but they put someone on every single one of those planes that go out and in. Um, that is like, yeah. if something happens, there's someone there to kind of take care of it. So it's not just a trip to France. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> it's very secure. Um, the, the airport in Tel Aviv, Ben Gulion, is like the most secure airport. Like, mm. it's really funny, actually, because when I traveled recently, so I come in and out of that airport and, you know, they come and ask you while you're waiting in line to get your tickets. They there are strictly soldiers there that come and ask you like who packed your bags have your bags been in your site the whole time where are you headed what are you going to be doing this and that all these questions and like you really feel like you're being interrogated almost like yeah so you feel secure or you feel um intimidated and then you go to some other airport like jfk and there's just like people like waving you over like whatever there's bags sitting on the counter over there doesn't feel as as secure as it is in uh well, have you ever been to Fiumicino in Rome? No. That was an airport. Like, there's been some pretty bad terrorism in in uh, Rome, spe mm -hmm. specifically at that airport. Uh, I I mean, I think if you Google it, it's like, it's it's pretty historic. It's mm -hmm. one of those like uh, big ones, kind of like that you hear that you used to hear a lot about when they they talked about the Middle East more. Mm. Um, and then talked about how evil Hamas and all those fuckers were. Yeah. Fuckers. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean like fuckers, fuckers, but like, you know, how they how they frame. Sometimes I say a statement in the voice of the person and then I realize, oh shit, I can get canceled for that. Uh-oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, uh, I have no uh, opinions on Hamas, especially in this episode because I don't want to get sure. you in trouble. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, the... It, the Fiumicino Airport, like that's where I I I got used to all of that security there. And again, I would fly literally from Fiumicino to JFK, and mm -hmm. when I got to JFK, it was like laxed. Yeah, you know, I would go through the TWA uh, terminal, it, that like super sci-fi one that's now a hotel. Oh, I used to actually use it there, and there were like these like sort of Gucci style um, desk setups that had TVs, and it was the most sci-fi shit I had yeah. ever seen. This was like in the eighties. <laughs> And then we would have Hagen dazs and I was like, oh my God, oh. the ice cream over here is just so much butterier. And like, <laughs> like, cause it's gelato versus that. It's like cream. Yeah, yeah. And I, w I was partial to gelato. But um, <laughs> going back to the Russian doll thing though, okay. I mean, those are things that definitely 
play into this um historical trauma thing that you're you know generational trauma mm -hmm. and it's interesting because i think the way that people talk about generational trauma trauma is not only just like what your parents hand down from their worldview and stuff like that but mm -hmm. like there's literally an infrastructure around this history that is I, I i can relate a little bit because like you were saying that you can't like drive back home like my back home is Miami, which is like where mm. all the right wing Cubans are. Oh man. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so like I don't I have a weird relationship to being Cuban because like I don't know any leftist Cubans, you mm. know? And so my perception of are, are people that are like credit card rich oh, and man. and like, you know, very money oriented in Miami. Whereas like Cuban culture is much broader than that. Yeah, you know? Yeah. Uh so it's it's interesting when 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 it becomes uh issue of international uh concern mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i'm not going to use imperialism because i don't <laughs> yes we'll keep it neutral we'll yeah. keep it so neutral yeah <laughs> no you're my guest and i don't want to you know i definitely respect that you're not uh any more responsible for some of the horrible things that that uh, Israel does than you are for America? So sure, you yeah. Know. And but I also don't want to like make you talk about things that might make you have weird conversations at home. But yeah. the historical side of it is interesting. So okay, so tell me, like, when you're a kid and you're growing up in this environment with people that are have experienced this uh, level of suffering and legit persecution, like. Um, what what is that experience like? Like, how do you pick up on that as a kid? Well, it was really interesting, actually. Um, in eighth grade, I went on a trip to the East Coast, and they took us to the Holocaust Museum in um, D.C. And I remember when we went in there, I was already a little bit like, you know, okay, I'm about to go through and kind of see a lot of the history in a museum format, so it's going to be pretty powerful and impactful. And by the time we got into like, I don't know, an hour into our tour, I was like, I can't even like stand anymore. Like I have to sit down and I called my mom and I was crying and I was like, I remember just seeing, you know, there were videos that they would play of, um, of just people standing in front of a trench and being shot. And I was just like visualizing my family you know, just like, I can't believe this happened in such a large scale. And it's hard. It's hard thinking about these things. And my mom doesn't really talk about it. You know, it's like that's part of the trauma is like not really it's not really a family discussion to have. Or I guess it depends on who your parent is and how they handle it and mm -hmm. um, how they decide to teach their kids about it. And so it's kind of like this weird, not forbidden territory, but because it's important to know what happens and what happened to your your parents and relatives. Um, but I think the more I get into thinking about my family history, the more I think of like how important it is and how that trauma relates to in not a direct way, but in a way that can show up in my art. And it's not so much about like the suffering that I want to document in my work. It's more about like the fact that it does go through generations and shows up and it just makes me more aware of who I am as a person today and how I can relate to certain things but I don't know I guess my work isn't really political at all no but I mean you can definitely have a uh, a ripple of that show up you know yeah I mean 
it's interesting how 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 those also ideas become generative and metaphorical in practice, right? Like where you're not necessarily. I mean, I don't make political work, and I talk a lot of shit about politics. Sure, sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. So it's not. It, it. I don't necessarily like. I think the idea. There's a. There's there's a, a lot of shit that comes from academia about art that I think is becoming outdated because so few people can work as MF, like have their MFAs or, you know, you're a very rare example of someone mm -hmm. that teaches without an MFA mm -hmm. and ten tenured people aren't retiring. So there's not like, I don't know, but if there will be any jobs by the time. <laughs> yeah. You know? That's a whole nother like worlds. It's really interesting. I don't know. It's, it's like the further we get into it and I might be biased because of my background of only having a, BFA, but it's like, is it the paper or is it the experience that is more valuable for someone coming into a teaching position? You know, there's mm. so many people that go and get their MFA and like, good for them. They went through the program, they made the work, but then like, what about the person that has more experience actually instructing you on how to develop a process and how to mm. do it correctly? And I don't know. It's, yeah, and yeah. just because you play soccer doesn't mean you can coach it. Yeah, you know? exactly. Like it's, yeah, it's uh, it it is a a, but but I, I think the, um, I think that a lot of the things that I learned, you know, it's also part of just rebelling against your education, right? Mm -hmm. And like your the um, orthodoxy, but I feel like there is sort of a very, um, you know, for example, the, uh, like part of abstract expressionism was like propaganda for the u.s my understanding is like look at how free we are and 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 all of that so like um this idea of purity or this idea of like your work has to represent you know like i think that it's a very antiquated way of thinking that to think that like art is going to change the world mm, you know interesting do you yeah. think do you think it, it has the power to do that I think that we need to invest in art at a much younger level, and okay. I think then it can change the world. Um, so you don't, uh, yeah, oh, I don't disagree with that. I think that if more people were educated in critical thought and in art making, mm -hmm. I think the world would be a better place. Sure. I, well, I was speaking more in terms of like, I'm going to make a painting that's going to change the world. Oh, yeah. Which may, you could argue <laughs> that maybe Guernica was important, but I don't mm -hmm. think it changed the world. I think it changed people's perception of things. Mm -hmm. So I think that can be powerful, but change the world. You're not going to fucking stop people not stopping basil's with a painting mm -hmm, mm -hmm. no that's an interesting <laughs> Here, basil's to... think about this <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah no that's a really interesting thing to think about because i would say like things that change your world would be technology and medicine or yeah. like the invention of the internet like that really changed the world um but it's true like what you just said it changes people's perspective so it's more of a long-term change it's not like an instant like you know we see this painting and then Everyone's the Democrats mind. sell us incrementalism, but it's like, <laughs> well, it's true because, you know, humans are so they struggle with change. Like, yeah, we... well, it's true in painting. I don't think it's true in art. I don't think the Democrats <laughs> are doing shit. Yeah, that's a whole nother can of worms, too. Um, but uh, yeah, no, no, no. Anyway, back to painting. Sure, sure. <laughs> the safe harbor of not talking politics. I'm so sick of it. I'm so burnt out of it. And then also, like, I'm limited in how much I can talk about uh like I'm limited in my scope, so sure, sure, yeah, same. So every if I, if I talk about politics every episode, yeah. I'm only gonna say the same shit over again for sure. So cut uh, it out. <laughs> um, but but no, and I, I but I do think I mean I guess it is a political discussion to talk about like 
academia and how it has maybe had a negative impact. I do think it's had a pretty negative impact on art in terms of how we consume it, how we uh, think about it, how how um, elitist it is in mm -hmm. some certain respects. Mm -hmm. And and part of doing this is just kind of like dispelling the, all of that shit for me, you know? Mm -hmm. um, this is my MFA. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's the thing is I totally agree. Academia, especially for like MFA level, is more about like, okay, how do we get you in the gallery? Or, you know, like, oh, you're not doing it right. Think this way instead, or however you want to take it really. Um, with printmaking, I think that printmaking is such a community-based process and technique and world that it kind of gets rid of a lot of this, like, oh, you have to think this way, or you have to use these materials. It's more about just exploring your creative um, intuitions in many different formats and, the whole concept of like community in printmaking is that oftentimes you need a press to print, right? And so getting a press is very expensive and like building a studio just for yourself is kind of like, I might as well go and find a community shop where I can share a press and also interact with other printmakers. Yeah. And so that's what I love so much about printmaking, kind of like regardless of if it's in an academia field or just like a community shop, you come in and you learn a practice and it's more about like honing in your skills as a person, your creative juices, um, and being able to break this idea of like, oh, well, you're not making the print correctly. It, mm. There is no correct way to really make a print. It's, there's a process that you have to follow, but then you can do whatever you want. And something that um, John Greco, the owner of Josephine Press, my mentor in a sense says like, Printmaking is all about problem solving. And so, again, it's like you don't have to f fit into a certain box to be mm. um, making a successful print, I guess. That kind of relates to. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm following. I yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> that's the like first. <laughs> that's the first time you got self-conscious. <laughs> so that's pretty good. We're 40 minutes in. Cool, cool. I'm just thinking, like, is this relating enough? Yeah. No, no. Um, well, I mean, I think that then that goes into like, how do you like, you know, go, going back. I, I do like your, your the structure of the Russian doll thing of like, and then now if we're thinking not like um, inherit, we're, we're basically inheriting an, ins, an industry, right? It, it, um, with ideological things that people have taught you and then it's your choice to sort of accept them or rebel against yeah. them and, and all of that. But I do think it is an interesting history, right? Because it's like, it always, you know, I mean, aside from the obvious, like, let's acknowledge them, the white male, you know, uh, straight, mm -hmm. um, all of those things. But I guess going back to orthodoxy, right? Like orthodoxy used to be in the Renaissance, very different than in the classical period, right? It's always interesting. Like what I like about looking at, class, at classical work, which um, a lot of people don't do that much anymore, but I think is actually pretty interesting to go back and look at it because it contextualizes how things are cyclical, right? Because mm -hmm. if you look at like the Hellenistic period is like the dopest of the <laughs> most detailed of the Greeks. And then it kind of happens again in the Renaissance where it just kind of starts, like people just refine it more. Mm -hmm. it's, it's always funny, like when you go over there and you're like, this is the second closest to being full perspective mm. you know where they're like figuring out perspective drawing but like one line is off yeah 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 <laughs> and oh this is the official first you know and like but it's like yeah that's how it started right it started really fucking basic yeah yeah 
and then you have cameras come in it changes everything it's just such an interesting like um how you inherit this dogma and these biases mm -hmm. right and mm -hmm. then you're like and then you start to question them sometimes yeah i see what you're saying i don't know what 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 do you feel like you uh like what kind of um modality of working like for me the the, the I'll, I'll lead the way for me the datas were really like fucking exciting for me mm -hmm. i mean i had seen uh, like calder and all these people that made fun work and it wasn't dour mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. or it was like not bitter yeah, yeah and then it kind of goes dark you know because then you have the photo montage uh, uh stuff from the berlin data but um but for me that was like Oh, because especially because Dada was like a reaction to like the craziness of everything going yeah. on. So I don't know. Was there anything that resonated with you like that, that you were like, oh, shit. Like, I think uh, I forget his name anyway. Um, you know, honestly, that's something that I'm lacking from getting my MFA is not. Well, I just really... have a BFA. For oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, okay. No, I mean, like in regards to your question of like, do I kind of look at a certain. um style or era of art and like relate to that it's something that i'm still kind of exploring i am also really into data um but i think i guess more in like an overall just like printmaking and i think it because it's because like i teach printmaking and so i talk a little bit about the history of each process too so i'm thinking more about like process rather than style mm. or what is your favorite process um out of I, all the printmaking if oh you had to gosh. choose one <laughs> if I had to choose what's your favorite one. song who's your favorite band i would say at the moment it's etching etching like intaglio printing yeah um there's something really beautiful about doing like a aqua tint on a plate which is like establishing different values i can tell you something about intaglio please uh it's an italian word <laughs> <laughs> perfect thank you uh, <laughs> well i'm saying I'm, I'm sure you know more about the history i was just getting you rolling <laughs> for sure yeah well if you want to know a little bit of history um the whole like reason we have Durr making millions of plates and is such like a big uh name and rembrandt and all this and that is like so etching came about because when we used to have armor um there would be, you know, a certain design or someone's signature on the armor that wanted to be replicated or um, rec recorded. And so they would ink up that sheet of armor and then press paper to it and create a print. And mm. so artists then realized like, oh, this is a thing that is possible. And so they started working with flat sheets of metal and would draw. Do you know what centuries we're talking about? It's Oof. okay if you don't know. No, I mean I we're don't. talking armor, so no, no, no. You should. It's fine. <laughs> I'm just. I just have questions, and yeah. it's fine if you don't have the answers. Oh no, it's making it's, me a bad teacher. Tonight, no, it's but. the format of the show. <laughs> <laughs> that's why. They, that's the downfall of having non-experts talk about things they like. I suppose, yeah. yeah. But I should know. But um, well, I mean, not that you're not an expert on printmaking. Sure, on the sure. history, I'll get you. I'll give you a pass. Yeah, though. yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but that that's interesting. Are there any other quirky like histories of print? Because that that's oh, fucking funny. Like yeah. I would have never guessed. It's just, it's like um, it reminds me. I mean just completely unrelated but it reminds me of uh indiana jones and like mm. when they take the pens and <laughs> yeah yeah create rubbings and yes rubbings yes, that's yeah. what it's called mm -hmm. yeah yeah I, it's been so long since grade school <laughs> <laughs> um 
other little quirky i don't know there's so much with well then what what do you like about the process is it, it the intaglio it that's that's where you you're etching with acids right mm -hmm. you're, you're using zinc you said yeah so you can either use zinc or copper um zinc is a little more toxic because you have to use nitric acid and copper is using ferric chloride which is basically um salt but um what do i love so much about the process i love the fact that there is a process like mm. you have to go through all these steps you have to polish the plate you have to put the ground on you have to transfer your drawing over to the plate and then you draw it into the ground and then you have to etch your plate and there's like all these different things you can do while you're etching it like you can but you've already done a drawing right yes you have okay to. that's how, like that was like i was like tying it into like ceramicists where they mm -hmm. like have the most fucking crazy patience and their pieces blow up and they're still good uh, but yeah. i can relate to having a drawing and wanting to actualize it as a print yes yeah yes. no because like yeah because if it was just the process without like having an endpoint i think that would be pretty tough for me oh no i'm just talking more about the differences in art mm -hmm. you know, and, and art practices because like i i find that interesting too you know like how different people like what gets people riled up mm. oh, okay i think i get what what you're saying I mean, with ceramic, I don't have much experience with ceramics, but I can I relate like the, to like the idea, <laughs> the yeah. tactile, ugh, ugh, no. <laughs> messy, messy. Yeah, I paint, and then like when I'm painting, I'm using tape, <laughs> and clean, yeah. clean lines, and then I, and then I have like a little, uh, uh, basically like one of those little. Um, uh, film canisters uh -huh. and I use that for my water nice so that I don't Simple. make too much water and then I pour it into my trash can that has a bunch of paper in it so Perfect. that I don't pour it down my drain yeah yeah because I, I I mean I should have just googled how to properly dispose of this mm. stuff but anyway I like I like neat yes I, I get you <laughs> printmaking might be a little difficult for you then because it does get pretty inky and messy and it's funny when I teach at the university I get a lot of non-art students and so there was one semester where I had a student come in with like a business suit on because he was a business major. And I was like, you are not going to be wearing that when <laughs> we're going to be inking plates and dealing with like all these, you know, really dirty materials yeah. and like all of um, not all, but a lot of the folks that have their nails painted and such at the end of the class ink will get under your fingernails and so they're like scrubbing their so nails in the sink. You're not a manicure person? No, there's no possibility of keeping that going. That not look like, too bad though. Well, I haven't touched ink in a couple days. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but definitely like I'll come home when I, after teaching a workshop and there will be ink like all over my arms and it's, yeah, it's part of it. Um, but I think, I think I can handle like, I mean, your studio is not too messy. For sure. Well, it, like, you know, there's, there's, it, ink is different than like, breathing in fucking you know yeah that's part <laughs> sanded, of it too. sanded uh down like ceramics oh wait you do breathe in stuff well so with an aqua tint you have to blow um rosin up into this box called an aqua tint box and rosin's not very good for you to breathe in okay. it's um it's basically tree sap but you don't want that stuff to go into your lungs in um, big capacities so um, there's that and then nitric acid is not something that you really want to be breathing in either so yeah but that makes me feel like a scientist yeah <laughs> <laughs> like i, I know, want a yeah. lab coat and just like yes <laughs> <laughs> not quite like that but it, there's definitely chemistry Stop breaking the... my dreams <laughs> with you reality come in, you come in, in the shop and you you can experience i'll just them. i'll just have some baking soda and uh and uh, what is it vinegar and yes, then just yes. like make my own little volcano <laughs> on, the, on side, the side for sure <laughs> you can get the real feeling yeah so i'm like mm. <laughs> i got the pre-christmas christmas, Christmas of, yes. of printmaking yes yes 
Well, that's great. I mean, I, I I definitely enjoy your love of it. Like, it definitely um, it's communicated, even though we're not necessarily. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of like. I think you're the first printmaker that talks about printmaking that I've had on the show. Mm. I've had like done 140. I'm actually kind of embarrassed. Wow. Um, well, it's about time. Yeah, it's about time, <laughs> man. I need to. I need to represent more more art types. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I th I'm sure there's someone listening right now and being like, "Yeah, I know. I know exactly what she's talking about." Oh, I like, <laughs> I, I'm making them like addicts <laughs> in my in my reenactment. But like, yeah, I mean, that is kind of the thing. I, it's funny those little things that you that that even though you have different practices, you relate to. It's like, oh, this person, uh, this person really likes this. You know? Yeah, I mean, it really is my passion, and like, you know, my art career is revolving around printmaking and the reason i love teaching it is because i am so passionate about it and i'm able to like you mm. know even during the workshops that i teach at josephine press i'll explain like every single step that's happening and going to happen and has happened and it's probably too much information for someone just learning and just needs to get to the next step but it's like i know i know like how to explain what's happening here so let me just tell you and um i think so i listen to like a, some other printmaking podcasts and it's what you're just explaining of like when the printmaker starts talking about a specific process, it's like, yes, like I it's visualize like you're it. watching a chef cook and you're like, yeah. yeah, yeah, put the butter in, put the butter in. <laughs> exactly. It's like, oh my God, it's going to be so good. I'm so excited to see the print and all this so, and that. And in terms of iconography, um, mm -hmm. is there is there something that we can talk about there without having to describe that? I mean, because I see some plants stuff, some mm -hmm. butterfly stuff, some, what is that, that symbol? I've seen that. The Hamsa? Hamsa, what yes. is that? The Hamsa is basically, so I have a bunch of Hamsa as keychains. Um, it's basically like a prayer for safe, being safe, um, security. There's, I'm guessing Hamsa is in Hebrew? Yeah, Hamsa okay. is, um, I don't know what it translates to exactly, I should know, but it's basically like the eye at the bottom is the evil eye. And so the hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so Hamsa is like Hamish in Hebrew is five. So okay. Hamsa relates to like the hand, five fingers. Um, there's like two thumbs. on Yeah, the yeah. Side. I was going to comment on that. <laughs> yeah. So the pinky doesn't quite. Um, and so the hand being inside the Hamsa is like it's the protector against the evil eye. Um, and there's like a lot of decorative elements that go into the Hamsa in, in Israeli culture, like pomegranates or fish. There's like the seven spices of Israel, um, of which those two are a part of. and. And so it's, um, is there, a, are you making a distinction or is it just casual, uh, uh, or is it a synonym for the difference between Israeli culture and Jewish culture? Um, well, so the Hamsa is also shown in like Indonesian culture or okay. like, so it pops up in different, um, places on our planet and such. So, but the overall theme of it is like, it's a protective element or symbol mm -hmm. against, um, the evil eye typically is there is like that. And the, and the idea being that the eyes contained within the hand, so that's like you, you're holding it? It's or? like repelling against it in oh. a way. So like, the, have you seen the evil eye on its own? It's like- The triangle one? Um, it's usually like a circle and then it has like the three rings and it's usually blue. I don't think- Is I this Kabbalah shit? No, no, it's okay. just- um, It's not mysticism. You know, it might be. I should, I probably need to do more research. And no, it, that's but. fine. I mean, I don't know. I'm asking questions a bit. Like I'm, I'm basically like, Hey, I've heard of pizza. Is this pizza? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, 
You know, honestly, like I've been using it a lot more because it's just something that is like a motif in my life of like having a keychain, growing up around it in Israeli culture. Um, and now I'm starting to think about using it more in my work. Like I can talk more about the pomegranate that I have within the Hamsa, which is um, another kind of decorative motif in Israeli culture. So I, I kind of like look at the symbols and then incorporate them into my work mm. in that sense. Um, and then they relate to me because of their you know, Israeli um, history and all that. But um, I lost my train of thought. That's okay. It happens. <laughs> I do that all the time. Um, yeah, I mean, it is interesting. It's a pomegranate. And then spider webs and stuff. Yeah. So, so, so it seems like it's, I mean, when I'm looking at the stuff, I definitely, like, even your butterflies are kind of poignant. Mm. You know, they're not like... They're like, oh, I'm a girl. I love butterflies. <laughs> They're like almost moth-like, you mm, know? Mm -hmm. Is that intentional or am I picking up on something or is that just coincidence? Yeah, well, I'm definitely not going for like, here's a pretty butterfly as a print. Um, and I'm actually trying to stop the, the motif of the monarch. I started it during lockdown when I like would go on a walk a lot during mm. lockdown and I would see like the monarch kind of flying around. It became a symbol for me of, um, like this idea that it's able to fly away and like travel distances. And so I related it to how like my parents are so far, my parents and my sister, um, and like having the ability for the butterfly to just fly and get where it needs to go. Um, that kind of inserted itself into my work. But then I, I had a meeting with my, um, my instructors from Long Beach because I was actually applying to grad schools at the time. And I was showing them my most recent work and the butterfly was in a lot of it. And they were like, what's up with this butterfly? <laughs> I was like, you know, I honestly, I don't really think I know what I'm doing with it either. Um, well, it is, it, unfortunately, it is one of those symbols that has so much baggage. It's like, it's almost like you're putting a Hello Kitty, mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of, no, but not I really. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I, I don't mean that as a dig. No, no. I actually don't think it's, it's, I, I mean, it doesn't feel girly to me. So that's why, like, it feels almost like more historically, historically, or E, <laughs> yeah, historical e. Yeah, that's yeah, the, yeah. that. Let's do that one. <laughs> let's, let's make up the word like that. Uh, and then, uh, but I do think that there is in, like I do find that pomegranate, the 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 hands thing that you're doing, mm -hmm. where it's basically a hand break. It's a drawing of two uh, two hands breaking up a pomegranate. There's something really interesting about that. And even with the, um, like, there's a lyrical thing to it. Which it reminds me of the photography uh, that you brought up because mm -hmm. I think that what's his name Kerouac on a Robert Frank's book talked about how photography is lyrical, mm -hmm. not narrative. Mm -hmm. And so I see, even though there, you know, we have the three hands, like the three stages of the hands opening, and there is a, a narrative in there. It's still sort of poetic, right? It's still sort of like. Um, so it's interesting I, 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 in terms of using printmaking. It's so much. It's 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 just like more elaborate drawing, essentially, right? Like yeah. Well, so like drawing with extra steps. With extra steps, and then the capacity to make multiples. So yeah. that's the big thing that also separates printmaking from other media's. And like the whole idea of being able to make multiples is to be able to reach a wider audience, right? So like when the printing press was invented, we're able to actually send news and communications out to further distances rather than just like having a scribe have to write it once or twice and post it around town. Now we're able to really carry it 
Wherever. Took their jobs. <laughs> <laughs> All the poor scribes out there. No. <laughs> they then became printmakers and they continued their practice, but to oh, okay, a okay. more efficient degree. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I love the idea of being able to make multiples. And, yeah. you know, I teach my students like a big perk of it is being able to show in multiple galleries or like sell to multiple people. And like prints are more... Um, affordable than a single painting right you think of the mona lisa yeah. you have to go to visit it all the way in um paris yeah in france um versus prints of the mona lisa or i guess for example like edward monk's um the scream yeah. lithograph there's many lithographs so you could go to this place or that place and you can acquire one and then someone else can also have one in this gallery so that's also like a really nice luxury of printmaking is being able to make multiples and spread your art and communications further it's interesting too because i wonder i wonder if like printmaking before photography was considered a high art form is it do you know if this like what it, 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 it is the same as painting and whatnot okay i mean i'll finish what i'm leading to mm -hmm. which is the idea that photography sort of is one of the ways that printmaking became like because since by nature it is a reproducible uh um image mm -hmm. like people were selling prints of it mm -hmm. as opposed to like painting you there's only one right, right. Yeah. so do you know anything about this it, it, it was photography validating to printmaking at all or am i just like making it up right now on the spot and it sounds like a great story well so photography plays into printmaking too so okay. there's like photo etchings photogravure um, photolithographs. So with the invention of photography, it kind of plays into it. But I, would I wouldn't say that printmaking ever was like higher than photography in terms of like thinking of levels or the painting has always been like the most up there on the pyramid, yeah. I guess, if you were to In the hierarchy. It. Yeah. In the, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. In what we consider. Um, in what academia thinks is, is um, great. Yeah, yeah. But um yeah, printmaking was more about communication rather than like fine art. Mm. But with Rembrandt and Durr and all these folks, um, those prints would sell too. They just wouldn't be sold to the capacity of if you had a painting up at the salon or something like that. So Durr would be commissioned to make like really big prints or um, prints for people of high establishment and whatnot. Um, I don't know if I'm answering your question. No, no, it's totally <laughs> I, no. That I mean, uh, it does. It kind, it it kind of does. Um, yeah, because I, I just had no real historical context for printmaking to begin with. Sure. Um, so like just hearing about the whenever the armor was made, I'm gonna look that up. Yeah, yeah. Intaglio. When was it? When it, was it invented? Um, I, I can tell you, I, I can teach you something else about Italian. Please. Uh, graffiti comes from the word graffito, uh -huh. which is graffare, which is to scratch. Okay. So like graffiti uh -huh. is originally like that shit that you see when you go on tours, like mm -hmm. holidays, and you see people like write, I love you, Emma, but like they scraping <laughs> it in or like yeah, when you yeah. scrape it, like that's like legit where the term graffiti, oh, wow. it's like even more defacing. You can't wow. paint over it. Yeah, huh? Yeah. Scratched into like the trunk of the tree or whatnot. Or or like it's actually crazy how often you go to like historical landmarks and there'll just be like a fresco with fucking shit scratched into yeah, it. It's yeah. pretty crazy. It's pretty upsetting. Yeah. yeah. But you know what? I mean, there's no accounting for assholes. I guess so. 
Yeah. Well, this has been fun. Is there anything <laughs> that you, else that I should ask you about? Maybe a point about Russian doll that you haven't gotten to make? Oh. That we could end on? Um. Well, I don't know. There's like so much, I guess like stuff that we didn't really touch on that I would have liked to have brought up. We can keep going. Oh, no, no. We've been in for an hour, so I don't want to nice. take your time. However, I'm just, I'm just pivoting to, 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 I, I, you know, yes. I am wrapping up, but we can wrap up for like an hour if you want. No, no. Okay. However, <laughs> I feel like what we've talked about has been great. So yeah, far. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Well, a lot of times if I go over an hour, it's because, we, uh, um, like, I just want to make sure I have enough stuff. So yeah. at this point, I know I have enough stuff. Awesome. And then we can just keep talking. Sure. But if you wanted, if there were things that you didn't get in that first hour out, go for it. No, I'm just thinking of like the one thing that from Russian Doll that maybe we didn't really get so much into is like the cognitive side of it all of thinking about like, you know, having to think about your trauma and your history, your family history and like who you are as a person today. And um, like some other themes that my work touches on is how you relate to like who you are with your surroundings and how like your memories of what you have experienced in the past based on just how you're growing up and your environment and your parental sort of um, upbringing and all that and how that relates to your furniture, your things that you're surrounded by and then how that comes back into you as a person. So kind of like this loop um of all that and how it affects you cognitively moving forward as well it's kind of more so is that that's related that seems like it may be a thought that came out when you when your grandparents moved then or it, it to to israel where you no longer had the artifacts of what it meant to be you as a family yeah that you didn't buy yourself you just grew up around right interesting yeah. point yeah yeah so like in undergrad the work that i was making related a lot to like the furniture that i grew up with and like the family home that i grew up in and how that relates then to all this oh so then you were like wait where's all my <laughs> source material yeah in a way or it was just just like oh my like a piece of me yeah. left you know because i was so tied to that object or like i was so um comforted by that that um yeah, that object, that space that I grew up in. Um, and so like with Russian doll, I'm trying to see if there's like a nice link between the two. But I don't know, it's more so about your family history and um I mean you yeah. don't have to tie it to Russian doll. Sure, sure. Russian doll is just the jumping point. For sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it is a it is actually a pretty pretty handy one because the it, it it is like I've never even seen the show. I don't. I have. You I, have to. No, I will check it out. <laughs> I I actually don't have Netflix right now. I'm because uh, I, I just. I mean, I don't do Netflix sure. unless there's something that I'm like, that that's like uh, I've been waiting. But then I pick up other shit on the, along the way. Sure, sure. But uh, but yeah, it's so expensive now. Yeah, it's like not worth it. And then <laughs> HBO is trying to be like them now too, mm -hmm. which sucks because they're just trying to buy stuff instead of make their own content. Oh, for sure. Anyway, streaming. Oh. <laughs> Uh, the generational trauma of uh, of capitalism on our uh, no. on our uh, entertainment, our entertainment and leisure. <laughs> oh Darn. my God, what a burden life can be. <laughs> no, that is interesting. Um, and it, I do think that there's like one word that surprisingly hasn't come up is nostalgia, oh, which yeah. I think is maybe overused, which is probably good. But I mean, at this point, it feels safe to bring it up because we totally. are kind of in that space. Yeah. Right. Where it's like a nostalgia, 
But I do feel like, like, you know, like, for example, that which is in frame, I'm going to point to that, uh, the, the, the dead flowers. Mm-hmm. They're so sad, yeah. you know, but there's, <laughs> there, there's like nostalgia. And then those flowers, they're kind of like the other ones next to it with the butterflies. Mm. They're kind of waking up. They're kind of still alive. There's like some vibrancy. It's, it's really interesting what I'm a huge fan of drawing and I definitely like, We've talked a lot about your printmaking, but your drawing skills are really actually pretty impressive. Thank you. Um, do you, are you, do you have like mental cannons in your head that you can like draw, <laughs> like, or do you have to actually see, like, are those hands drawn from memory or are they drawn from reference? Yeah, from reference. Okay. Um, I'm, I, I, I'm, I, I'm less feel less bad about my ability to draw. <laughs> no, you shouldn't. You shouldn't at <laughs> no. all. Because I'm only, re- I'm reference only. I can only sure, draw from sure. reference. Yeah. I can draw really well from reference. Yeah. Guys, I'm getting <laughs> defensive about this. <laughs> no, you shouldn't. I mean, you know, don't compare yourself to, nah, nah, but nah, anyways. Nah, 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 nah. Um, <laughs> no, but I'm always impressed with people that can do that because it's like a completely different skill set. I sure. think, you know. You have to practice it for sure. Yeah. That's definitely part of it. I mean, I, I was um, lucky to, my parents would like send me to art camp and like art take yeah. art classes and such while I was in high school. So I think my drawing um, skills picked up when they sent me to that and it really is something that you have to practice in order to keep up and all that. But um, um, I actually, the other day I pulled out a drawing and I was like, holy shit. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and I had a deadline and I was procrastinating and I was like, <laughs> but I was like, you know, you can do it. You know, you can do it. And then I just did it. It's, it's that it's the, uh, the easiest is what it, the kind of drawing to me is when you're just rubbing a paper, a, a piece of paper with that pencil and you're just letting it pick up instead of drawing lines. For sure. Yeah. You yeah. could just erase the shit out of that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. I was like flexing too. <laughs> nice. Nice. I mean, yeah. I mean, take take pride in the work that you make, you know? Yeah. No, I need to draw more because it made me feel really good about myself. <laughs> good. Good. Yeah. That's what art should be. Yeah. Um, but I forget where you Oh, nostalgia. Okay. Yeah. So a really quick little thing on nostalgia. So I read this book recently. That was called Nostalgia and the Immigrant Identity. Mm-hmm. And it related how, so when we say nostalgia in today's age, a lot of folks think like, oh, the 80s, yeah, yeah. retro, gumball machines, whatever. But if you think of nostalgia as um, the way that this book was talking about, it was like nostalgia is all about what you, as an immigrant, what you are remembering from the past space that you grew up in. So, you know, someone that immigrants from Europe to America and then they have nostalgia of their life in a previous location and what that was like and the type of culture that you're surrounded by and the types of foods that you eat and the people that you interact with compared to where we are today, for example, in America or what have mm. you and how you don't have access to that anymore. So nostalgia does play a big role in my work. Um, I'm trying to shift it more towards that bigger picture, but it did do a lot with like fat family photo albums. Mm. So I, when my parents moved, my parents and my sister, um, I scanned a bunch of like photos from my parents' photo albums and I thought a lot about like who I was during that time being surrounded by all these objects. And, you know, I was, I'm the firstborn of my parents, so I'm the oldest sister. And so they gave me everything, you know, when you're mm. the firstborn, you, your parents want like to just totally invest in you hundred percent. So there's so many photos of me as a kid, like every single day practically. And so I thought a lot about how like photography relates to capturing these memories Mm -hmm. and how when you look at them as someone that's older looking at yourself 
from a different time. It's like all these memories flood you and thinking of nostalgia. This book talks about it in the way that you're an immigrant moving from one location to another. But then me as a person, who I was during that time versus who I am today is nostalgic to think about and how the life that I lived moving forward shaped me to who I am today and then comparing yeah. what I had in the past to what I have now and like, where am I going to go in the future? And like, what will my kids think of when they look back at pictures of me and pictures of themselves being my age today and just like goes on and on. Yeah. Well, it, it is interesting because to some degree, it's like the 80s doesn't exist anymore either. You sure. Know? <laughs> oh, man. We're moving forward. Right? Like, whatever that was, there's no going back. It doesn't yeah. exist. It's like that Beatles song. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. The one yeah. that makes you sad. Yeah. Um, that's really interesting, though. Yeah, it is. It, it, it is hard, especially like the, like the idea that your consciousness is, is continuous, right? Since that point to now, but it's mm -hmm. like just hard to even conceive the entirety of it. Like, I think I'm like, I get caught into these like thought patterns where I'm like simplifying my life to like highlights of mm -hmm. it, right? Or mm -hmm. like, and it's like, no man, it's 42 fucking years, dude. Mm -hmm. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's been a lot of boredom. There's been a lot of like everything, yeah. like everything has filled this time, yeah. not just this like conglomerate of or, or network of ideas that I'm using to define myself. Mm -hmm. It really is crazy. And then like you forget shit about yourself and then you remember and you're like, oh my God. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, the brain remembers things more when there's like periods of activity. Mm -hmm. So if there is a lot more of downtime or like, you know, you're just kind of like living a routine life, your brain isn't going to remember those things as much as they would when you went on vacation or um, you had like a really great date with someone or something like yeah. that, you know, so it's, it's like when every time I go hiking, I think about all the times I've been hiking. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> does that, am I the only one that does that? Please someone comment down <laughs> below. Don't make me feel weird. <laughs> no, yeah, I agree. And then like, maybe you have a flashback to like, that ice cream that you got afterwards or yeah, something. Yeah. And then that relates to, you know, it's all interesting stuff. Cool. Yeah. Well, I have really enjoyed meeting you. I, uh, we have uh, definitely followed each other uh, f for a long time. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I also appreciate you because you followed me after I lost my account. Oh no. Is that what happened? No. Yeah. yeah. I'm really into like what you're doing. And Thank I love, you. like I said, while you were setting up, like I'm so impressed with your setup and I appreciate you give me, giving me the time to be oh, with no, you and absolutely. chat with you. And... I mean, this is, this has been a true pleasure and then I'll have Yeltsin too, so that there is no jealousy between couples. <laughs> that is one of the rules from the show. If I have somebody nice. and they're dating an artist, they have to be on the oh, show. Good, I good. don't want any drama. I don't want to be responsible <laughs> for breakups, guys. Oh man. Yeah. Well, you better get him on. No, that's great. I but he'll, that. he'll be after in the fall. Nice. <laughs> I'm waiting to schedule i mean i'll schedule him right now for like october but awesome. i mean if he if he's down yeah. but yeah um no this is this is lovely and it's it's nice to see like i, I like coming down to the artist co-op i would like to maybe if you know any other long beach people that aren't in this space it would be cool too sure. so that i can get the get to meet them oh, yeah. but uh but it is also nice to like just kind of this seems like a little um oasis for you guys totally it is i mean that's something that's a big benefit of having a studio mm -hmm. outside of where you live is like being able to separate yourself from home life and work life and come to your own space where you can pin stuff up on the wall and just have supplies and then just like indulge you know yeah. get into it um yeah the co-op yelton and i joined i think it's been two years now um and we've slowly developed the space and you know you collect things over time as artists do 
and you get in here and you get inspired by something or like you're really yeah. driven to finish something that you've been thinking about while you were at work and there's no tv or video games in this space that's right yeah <laughs> that's for home that's for relaxing this is a workspace yeah i uh I, I play a lot of video games. <laughs> nice, it's good. That's good too. I mean, yeah, it, I I also work hard. I'm I'm I'm, I need to get out of the mindset that I'm a man child just because I play video games. Yeah, uh, but no, that no. is kind of the culture that I grew up in in the '80s. You oh, know, it's a generational thing. I think if I was uh, Yeltsin's age, I'd probably. I'm assuming that he's your age. Yeah, but, we're close. Yeah, yeah. I uh, it would be a very different uh, relationship to my. I'm like I'm always like I could be painting. I could be, you know, oh, it's that's interesting. Um, I've been having this conversation about transhumanism with somebody and I've come to the conclusion that it's going to be a nightmare because all it does is keep you trapped in capitalism for the rest of existence. Yeah, yeah. Like for all eternity. Imagine you get uploaded to a computer and for, like, I would like some peace from the sales. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's really interesting. Do you feel like you have that mindset of like, oh, I should be working right now instead of playing video games because of how you were raised or because of how society uh, yeah, says i mean there's always oh, going to be guilt wow i I, th I think part of it is like i mean i'm not actively catholic i grew sure. up, i'm agnostic sure, but sure. i but i'm uh traumatized Th that's my trauma yeah um yeah i definitely think that I also i mean i we live in the u.s we live in a capitalist system i think there's a lot of different things that add up to that you know yeah. and then uh yeah, I mean, like, today I'm definitely not going to do shit. I, I <laughs> you should. You worked, and then you deserve a break and yeah, to yeah, relax. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but but um, generally speaking, yeah, I'm pretty tough on myself in terms of work mm -hmm. output, even though I put out a weekly podcast, I make art, I have a job, or yeah. I'm looking for work now, but, you know, I, I, I do work full time. So... I don't know. I, uh, I mean, I've done therapy. I should maybe get back in to deal with some of this stuff, but we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I think society does a big, gives you a, a big load to carry in this idea of like, oh, I should be productive right now because that, yeah. we live in this world of like, if you're not working, 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 then like, what are you doing? But that's all propaganda. <laughs> that, you know, and that's why they didn't give us anything when like they gave us $1,200 while the, the rest of the world got uh, their... Yeah, they got to keep their jobs because the government paid for them. Right. Uh, so yeah, and the economy didn't completely collapse. It's like it's it 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 is. Uh, they are very very much about making us work harder for them. Totally. You know, I don't think Bezos wants me. I I, I think Bezos is okay with and and Musk. I don't want to pick on Bezos. <laughs> uh, fucking farmland owner of uh, Bill Gates is an asshole too. Oh man. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't want to get you kicked out of Israel because no, no. I don't know if they like are huge donors to. <laughs> I don't know either. I yeah, I could totally see that some weird shit like that. Yes, All right. Yes. Thank you so much for doing this. Anything that we can promote for you? You are May Rodded, R O D E D. Yes, that's it. Yeah, uh, May Rodded, uh, M A Y D or M A Y dot R O D E D on Instagram. Uh, my website is mayroda.com. And uh, what can you promote for me? Come to Josephine Press. Take a workshop with me. Oh, for learn sure. Learn how to make a print. Um, I might, I might do that. Yeah, Please do. Yeah. 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 It's it's literally for anyone. You don't have to have any printmaking experience. Um, and I promise you'll leave feeling really fulfilled and with handmade work at the end of the day, which is 
my mission. <laughs> cool. And then <laughs> you get to reproduce you. your favorite drawing. That's right. Over and over and over again. And which then is pretty special. Give it all, all your friends and family. So Yeah. All right. And uh, we'll be back next week with another great guest with another crazy topic. And maybe we'll talk about art. <laughs> <laughs> nice.